0: Well for the last two weeks we've been looking at the first recorded message in the book of Acts directed to believers. We've seen several messages that are gospel messages directed to unbelievers but this is the first one you know directed to believers It's specifically to the leadership or the elders there in the church in Ephesus. It's one of the the best uh, messages we have in the book of Acts. There's a lot of Practical examples. There's a lot of challenges for us to follow, and uh, we've noted these last two weeks that Paul's message that he uh, proclaims focuses on three main things, and uh, we've covered the first two things so far. The first thing that Paul reviews is his past ministry in Ephesus, and uh, he focuses on three main things as he looks at his past. He looks at uh, the motive, the manner, and the method of his ministry, and then last week we looked at the present present circumstances and ministry that Paul was facing And, and he shared with us three main things in his present ministry. First, the big problem that he faced. Second, you know, how he was able to have a godly response to that big problem. And then third, three reasons why he was able to respond in a godly way. So we've looked at the past ministry, we've looked at the present ministry, and this morning we're going to finish up this teaching from Paul looking at the future. Paul's going to give a challenge, a warning really, about the future, about the future of the church, about things that are going to be coming into the church that these believers needed to be aware of and that you and I need to be aware of as well. And so in this final uh, portion of uh this message, Paul's going to be looking at basically three things again. Um, first, Paul's going to challenge us with, uh, well, just to give a challenge to the elders there. Second, he's going to focus on the reason why this challenge is so important. And then third, he's going to focus on three practical ways to effectively minister that he demonstrated uh, by his own personal example. Now, I want us to note something that really, you know, Paul's saying this is what the church is going to be like. These are things that are going to happen in the future. But I want us to understand we are in the future. We're living in this church that Paul warned about. And so what he has to say to these Ephesian elders is very much applicable to us and very much something that we see in the church world happening now. And I think as we go through these verses, uh, you'll be aware of that reality. So there's a lot that we can take from these things, a lot that we can apply to our lives personally. So let's start with seeing what Paul here shares with us about this warning about the future starting Acts chapter 20 uh, verse 28 says this therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he has purchased with his own blood for I know this that after my departure savage wolves will come in among you not sparing the flock also from among yourselves men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears." Now remember, Paul is directing this message specifically to these elders, these leaders in the church there in Ephesus, and and sometimes people will read this and think, well, you know what, I'm not a church leader, so this doesn't pertain to me, this doesn't have any application to me, and that's not true at all. This message is relevant to every believer, not just those who are in church leadership. And the reason it's relevant to every believer is because this is really a challenge to be uh, aware of certain things and also to be someone who invests spiritually in others. And all of us in different capacities as believers have been called to do that. For those of you who are parents, you're called to invest spiritually into your children. And for those of you who see yourself as spiritually mature, who've been walking with the Lord for a while, I want you to understand that you have a role in the body of Christ to invest in those who are less spiritually mature. In the book of Titus, we have a great challenge Titus chapter 2, verses 2 through 5, it tells us this. Tell the older men to be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, in patience. The older women likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. That they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded. Notice that these verses are challenging those who are more mature in the Lord, who've been walking with the Lord for a while. It says, you know what? First you need to be an example to younger believers and the way in which you conduct yourself and the way in which you live. Be that godly example to them. But it also says, you know, be proactive. You know, go out and find people who are young in the Lord. Come alongside of them to help them. For for you ladies to, to look for younger women than the Lord and show them what it is, not just by example, but by investment and discipleship you know, this is what it looks like to be a godly woman. This is what you need to be a godly wife. This is what you need to be a godly mother. Likewise, men bringing onside younger men to themselves and saying, hey, this is what it is to be a godly man, a godly husband, a godly father. We need that in the body of Christ today. We need that discipleship and that investment. And so I want to throw out a challenge to you. If you see yourself, you know, as a, a spiritually mature individual, but it's been walking with the Lord for a while, you know, Look for younger believers here in our fellowship to come alongside of them and help them grow, to invest in them and be an example to them. And so that's another area in which we are uh, really commanded to invest in and, and pour into others. And it doesn't mean you have to be in church leadership to do it, as long as you've just been walking with the Lord for a while. Now, all of us, whether we've been saved for 10 days or 10 years, we need to be investing in unbelievers. We need to be sharing the gospel with those that are lost. And I bring all this up just to be a a reminder that as Paul is sharing with leaders in the church in Ephesus, just recognize all of us have a role to spiritually invest in others. Uh, And so what Paul shares here uh, is a challenge for all of us and a warning for all of us. So the principles that we're going to look at definitely are relevant to all of us this morning. Now, I want us to note the first challenge that Paul gives us in verse 28. Notice what he says to us. He says, Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Paul says, take heed to yourself and to the flock of God. Now, the Greek word translated heed means to attend to, to care for, to give attention to, to devote thoughts and efforts to a person or thing. So Paul's saying, you know, you and I, we need to take heed. We need to give attention to, care for, attend to, and devote our thoughts and efforts first to ourselves and then to the flock of God, speaking of other believers. But, but I want you to note the order here. First, take heed to yourself. Second, take heed to the flock of God. And this order is very important because if you screw up this order, everything starts to fall apart. First, take heed to yourself before you try to take care of the spiritual needs of others. Before you try to help others with their spiritual needs, first invest in your own, first take care of your own spiritual life. If you want to be used by God to feed other people spiritually, then you need to first be able to Feed yourself spiritually, because if you're not feeding yourself spiritually, you've got nothing to offer. You can only take others spiritually as far as you have gone. So if you're not investing in yourself, guess what? You're not going to be very effective in pouring in to others. You know, for those of you who fly, uh, I'm glad I don't fly internationally much anymore because it's a miserable long trip. But, you know, the, the, you, know you, you get in there and the message comes from the flight attendant about how to put on your os- uh, oxygen mask on a plane. And they tell you, first, put on your mask before trying to help anyone else with theirs. Now, for parents... This kind of goes against our instinct. You know, if the plane's going down and the oxygen masks fall, you know, we're looking for our kids and we want to make sure they get oxygen. But they recognize, you know what, if you're trying to put masks on everyone else, but you're not getting oxygen, you're going to pass out, you're going to die, you're not going to be helpful, and then the people you're trying to help are going to die as well. So they're saying, hey, you first need to make sure you get your oxygen, and when you get your oxygen, then you'll be able to go and help everybody else with theirs. And so they bring this warning to us, and in the same way, spiritually, spiritually, we first need to invest in ourselves, make sure we're taking in the word of God, make sure we're investing in ourselves spiritually before we seek to try and invest in others and pour in to others. People don't need to just be taught, they need to be shown. We need to first grow ourselves so that we can be that example to others. You know, I think we have a tendency of Seeing and trying to correct sin in other people's lives without first seeing and correcting the sin that is in our own life. And Jesus gave us a pretty strong warning about this. You're probably familiar with this. Luke chapter 6 says this in verse 41 and 42 And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not perceive the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Brother, Let me remove the speck that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the plank that is in your own eye. Hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see more clearly to remove the speck that is in your brother's eye. So Jesus is telling us here, hey, before we try to take that speck that we might see from a brother or sister in the Lord, we first need to take care of the big plank in our own eye that is blinding us from Uh, Doing that for our brother, you know, many Christians struggle with plankon. They're constantly going to other people. They're trying to find the specks of sin. They're trying to remove the sin from other people's lives, but yet they themselves don't really pay attention to their sin. They got huge issues coming out their eye, so to speak, big sin problems, and they're not dealing with their own issues. But they love to try to point out yours. They love to try to help you with yours. And Jesus saying, no, no, no. First you got to deal with your own stuff. First, got to deal with your own sin so that you can see clearly to help others. Now, notice Jesus isn't saying, don't help other people with their sin. He's just saying there's a process. First, deal with your own before you go out and try to help everybody else. And, and there's too many Christians like that who could care less about their own sin but really are concerned about yours. And so we need to be first concerned about our own and dealing with our own, and then we'll be in a place where we can help other believers and have victory because we realize our own life. Hey, the Lord has helped us overcome this. Now we can come alongside of you and be an encouragement and help, but first recognize the process of dealing with our own sin before we try and take other people and deal with theirs. So first take heed to yourself, and after you've done that, take heed to the flock of God. If you've invested in yourself spiritually, then you're going to be able to have something to invest in others spiritually. If you've taken the time to grow in your understanding of the word, you're going to have something to actually teach and communicate with others, which will help them grow. For first, take heed to yourself, but don't stop there. You know, some Christians, that's all it is. Hey, as long as I'm doing well spiritually, that's all that matters. You know, this is the starting point. Yes, first take heed to yourself, but then there's another step. Then you want to also take heed to the flock of God. I want you to note what Paul has to say about why the flock of God, why we should do this. Why is it so important to take heed to them, not just to ourselves, but to seek to invest spiritually in other believers? Notice what he says at the end of verse 28. Shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. You know, the reason why it's so important to shepherd the church of God, to invest in other believers, is because of how important believers are to God how valuable believers are to God. You know, you can tell how valuable something or someone is by how much they're willing to give to purchase it. You know, if I wanted to know the value of my home, I could look at what Harris County tells me the value of my home is based on my taxes. You know, I wish they would keep my value low so I wouldn't have to pay as much. Or I could just look at the market value and say, okay, this is what the market value says the, the value of my home is. But in all reality, the true value of my home is what someone's willing to pay for it. What someone's willing to pay for it demonstrates the value. See, someone could say, oh, I really want your home and they could pay way over market value. Or someone could say, your home's worthless to me and I'm willing to give you barely nothing what someone's willing to give demonstrates the value they place on it and and when we look at Jesus and we look at how he values the body of Christ we can see the great value that's there by what he was willing to pay and we're told he gave his own life well why should we invest in other believers why because they are so valuable to God We should have the same value for others that God does. If we have the heart of God, then we should place that value on others and want to invest in them just like God does. I think this is so important to note because oftentimes we only take heed to ourselves. Oftentimes we're we're selfish. I mean, that's part of our flesh. That's part of our issue. That's part of the the negative aspect of our life is we're selfish and we focus on ourselves and me and me, and we need to break beyond that to realize it's not just about me. It's not just about my growth. It's not just about my spiritual maturity, but I want to be used by God to invest in and help out and pour in to others. Hence why I gave that encouragement, especially to those who have been walking with the Lord for a while, to, to say, hey, you know what? The Lord's showing me all this stuff. I, I want to take that and have it not just be something that blesses me, but something that I can encourage other believers with. So don't just focus on your own life spiritually. Focus on investing in others as well. So Paul starts off with this warning about the future with a challenge. And the challenge is first take heed to your own spiritual needs. And second, take heed to the spiritual needs of other believers. Both are important, but the order is essential. First, make sure you're invested in yourself. And then second, after you've invested in yourself, make sure you invest in others. Well, now Paul's going to tell us why taking heed to our own spiritual needs and the spiritual needs of others is so important. Notice what he says in verses 29 and 30. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Well, Paul has been encouraging these leaders, you know, shepherd, invest in, you know, pour into the, the flock of God, God's sheep, spiritually feed them, protect them, take heed to your own spiritual needs and also invest in their spiritual needs. And now he's going to share why this is so important. The reason this is so important is Paul saying, in the future, two big problems are coming. They're coming to the church world. They're going to come to this church here in Ephesus. They're going to come to all churches. There's there's an issue that is going to be coming, and you need to be aware of it, and you need to be prepared for it, because it's going to cause problems. One problem is going to come from the outside in, and the other problem is going to start from the inside of the church. The first problem comes from the outside of the church in, That's the problem that Paul says is savage wolves will come in among the church, not sparing the flock. He's using a very picturesque thing, a savage wolf. And now we already said the flock, which are sheep, savage wolves and sheep. You know, they don't do well together. Savage wolves, their goal is to kill and destroy sheep. And so in painting this picture, he's saying, hey, there are going to be those who come into the body of Christ, come into churches, come in there, and they're like savage wolves. Their purpose and their goal is to destroy, to kill sheep. You know, sadly, there are many people like this in the church world today. They've come into the church ultimately to destroy believers. Now, you might be thinking, well, when a flock of sheep sees a wolf, they run. They get away. They recognize danger. You know, well, when believers see, you know, someone like a wolf, you know, they, they get away from them. They, they, they don't want to be near them. They recognize there's a problem. So how is it that these wolves come in among sheep and cause all this havoc. How is it the sheep don't recognize them? Well, Jesus tells us how these wolves do this in Matthew chapter seven, verse 15 and 16. He says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruit. You see, the way that these wolves get into the church is they come in with sheep's clothing. Oh, they, they look the part. They even have the church lingo. You know, they, they want to be seen as Christians, be seen as believers. They come in incognito, sheep's clothing, but really inwardly, they're ravenous wolves. Inwardly, they're seeking to destroy. And they're dangerous because, you know, it doesn't, they don't wear signs that say false prophet. They don't wear signs that says heretic. They don't wear signs that say, hey, we're coming to destroy you. They're wanting to be accepted and looked upon as, oh yes, what we're doing is good and right and biblical, but yet no. They bring in heresy, they bring in lies, they bring in things that drag people down and destroy their life. And so, you know, Paul is saying, hey, be aware of these false prophets who come in and destroy like ravenous wolves. So the first problem that Paul warns us about is a problem coming from the outside in. The problem of evil people who are like wolves who come into the church to kill and destroy believers. The second problem that Paul warns us about is in verse 30. It says this. And from among yourselves men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves." The second problem here comes from within the church. The first is, you know, these, these false prophets, these ravenous wolves, these people coming from outside into the church to destroy believers. This problem exists from within, uh, which is even worse. We have this problem from within. Paul warns that there are going to be people that are in the church that are going to rise up. They're going to take up some kind of position of authority within the church. And when they do, they're going to do two destructive things. First, they're going to speak perverse things. The Greek word translated perverse means to turn aside from the right path, to pervert or corrupt the truth. So ultimately what they're going to be doing is is they're going to be speaking things that are not true, that pervert the truth of God's word. That is what they're going to be doing. That's going to be the main thing coming out of their mouth are things that are not true according to the word of God. And if any of you have been involved in the church world for any given period of time, you've seen that there are those in the church who do this. There are those in the church who speak things that definitely do not coincide with God's word, and many of them purposefully seeking to lead people astray from the truth of what God's word clearly declares. They've risen up into some position of authority, and they're using that authority within the church to bring destruction to others. So the first destructive thing these people are doing is speaking perverse things that lead people away from the truth. The second destructive thing they're doing is to draw away believers after themselves. Something I think is so important to understand is, you know, in ministry, we never biblically are supposed to point people to us it's always to jesus it's always pointing people to jesus directing people to jesus he's the one that meets their needs he's the one that saves them he's the one with the power to do what needs to be done to change their life not us we should never be, hey, look at me, You know, focus on me, I'm so wonderful. And unfortunately, we're kind of in a church world where we have these rock stars you know, within the body of Christ where they just want the approval of all people, and we're elevating these men instead of elevating Jesus. We're focusing on these people instead of focusing on Christ. And if you ever have someone who's just like, look at me, pointing them to themselves, that should be a red flag right away. If someone's pointing you to them, then they've missed the point. It should all be about Jesus, and once again, false warning, hey, They're going to be pointing you to them. It's all about them. They want you to follow them and do the things that they want instead of pointing you to Jesus. And so that's just to be a warning in and of itself to us. So the reason why the challenge to first take heed to your own spiritual needs and then second to take heed to the spiritual needs of others is because evil people are in the church to destroy believers, speak perverse things, and draw people to themselves instead of to Jesus. And if we're not taking heed to our own spiritual needs, if we're not seeking to invest in other people's spiritual needs, we're going to get destroyed. We're going to be led away. We're going to be, you know, there's going to be things that are obviously negative that are going to happen to us if we're not doing this challenge that Paul gives. Notice what Paul goes on to say in verse 31. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. As believers, we need to watch. We need to be on the lookout for these types of individuals, for those who would come into the church and seek to destroy wolves in sheep's clothing, people who are teaching false things, people who are doing false things. We need to be aware of that. We need to be watching for that. But not only watch out, we're also told to warn. And sometimes we're like, okay, well, we'll, we'll be on our guard. That's fine. But well, warning, that's kind of rude. Or warning, you know, is that judgmental? Or a warning, you know, no, that's part of what we're supposed to be doing you know it's loving to say you know what hey we need to warn others who might not be you know grounded in the word of god that this isn't right this isn't biblical this isn't healthy and don't follow that teaching or don't follow that individual you know we need to be those who are not only willing to look out and see oh that's a problem but also warn others i mean if there was a lion outside and you know i, I saw it and i was like okay well at least i know it but i'm not going to tell anybody else here i mean you know what kind of person would i be you know you want to recognize there's an issue And I want everyone to know there's a problem so that nobody gets, you know, taken advantage of with it. So, you know, as a shepherd, if you just feed the sheep, feed the sheep, feed the sheep, and you don't warn them, you just fatten them up for the kill. You know, there's a dual thing you want to feed and you want to warn, you know, and we see this, you know, um, both coming together. uh, And I think it's important for us, you know, as we mature in the Lord to to recognize what's biblically true, to see things that are wrong and not just to see it for ourselves. But if we see some of our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ following that kind of stuff, then we lovingly come and say, you know what? This isn't in the Bible. This isn't biblical. You know, this is not good for you. Stay away from that stuff uh, and give those warnings to help protect them. Uh, just like we need to be protected ourselves. So the challenge that Paul gives us is, first, take heed to our own spiritual needs. Second, take heed to the spiritual needs of others. The reason why the challenge is so important to do is because evil people are in the church to destroy believers, speak perverse things, draw people to themselves instead of to Jesus. Well, the final thing that Paul is going to focus on here in the end of this teaching are three practical ways that he effectively ministered things that he personally demonstrated that are a great example to us. Notice what they are in verses 32 through 35. So now, brethren, I commend, to you, uh, commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities and for those who are with me. I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. The first practical way that Paul demonstrated with his own life of how we should personally minister to others is to commend people to God in the word of his grace. You know, the word commend means to bring alongside of. You know, one of the most effective things and best things that we can do as believers is to bring people to God's word, to encourage people in God's word, to share God's word with people because it's living, it's powerful, it's, it's, you know, can enable us and help us in every area of life. We are surrounded by people who need to be built up, who need to be encouraged, who need to be warned, who need to be sometimes even rebuked by God's word. And the word of God needs to go out. We need to encourage people, bring people to it. So the first practical way to effectively minister that Paul personally demonstrated is he commended people to God in the word of his grace. And I'm not harping on this because we've seen this over and over in the book of Acts. And that's he comes into a place and he brings the word. He brings the gospel. This was Paul's ministry. This was his heart, something that he did so well, so effectively, and something that we need to uh, follow that example as well. The second practical way to effectively minister that Paul personally demonstrated is in verses 33 and 34. He says this, I have coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities and for those who were with me. The second way to effectively minister that Paul demonstrated to us is don't covet. To covet is to have an ungodly desire for something that is forbidden. You know, you go through the Ten Commandments, and the largest portion of of just one command is actually specifically about coveting. Exodus chapter 20, verse 17 says, You shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. Coveting is an issue that we have. And we look at, oh, I want this and I want that. And especially things that are forbidden, like someone else's wife or some other things. And, you know, we have this sinful desire for things that are forbidden. You know, we don't like to be told, you can't have that. What do you mean, I can't have that? I want that. It's going to be mine. And and we struggle with that. Our flesh struggles with that. And in ministry, coveting, unfortunately, is commonplace. And it's something that brings great destruction to you personally and definitely to the ministry as a whole. You know, there are probably the three biggest things that especially men in ministry covet are money, women, and power. And they're all super destructive, coveting those things. You know, I mean, coveting is just that the desire for it, which ultimately leads often to pursuing those desires and going after those things. And, you know, it just brings problems. When you caught up coveting, you know, coveting comes with definite consequences, You know, a young bride flashed her diamond ring at a party. It was the biggest diamond that anyone at the party had seen ever in their life. And they said, wow, where'd you get that diamond? She said, this is the famous Wilson diamond, the second largest diamond in the world. Every woman in the room was was coveting this diamond until the bride told them, well, this diamond comes with a curse. A curse, asked her friends. Yes, she answered. It comes with Mr. Wilson. Coveting oftentimes comes with consequences. And I think that's something that we need to recognize as we, oh, if I just had this, it'd be so great. Or, oh, if I could just get this, it'd be so great. And, you know, it's not true. We need to get away from that and just recognize, you know what? What God has for me is what's best. And what he says is forbidden for me, I need to trust. He does that because he knows what's best. I think sometimes we have this perception of God of he's trying to rob us of our fun. He's trying to keep us from having the, the you know, desires of these different things. He say, no, 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 I recognize these aren't good for you. And that's why I say they're forbidden because I don't want them to hurt you. Like a parent, when we look at our children and they say, oh, we want it so bad. And you say, no, you can't have it because it's not good for you. Oh, you're so mean, daddy. No. I'm just trying to look out for you. And sometimes they don't get it. And sometimes as children of God, we don't get it. He's just trying to look out for us and say, don't do this because it's going to hurt you. Don't pursue this because it's not good for you. Just trust me. I've made it forbidden because I love you and I know what's best for you. And quit coveting and pursuing these things because they're not healthy for you. So remember, coveting comes with great consequences, especially when you're in ministry, because it doesn't just impact you. It impacts those you're trying to influence and impact spiritually as well. You know, Paul was a great example of someone who didn't covet things like silver or gold. And he actually went out of his way. He said, hey, you guys know I work with my own hands. I was a tent maker to provide for my own needs, not just for my own needs, but also those who ministered with me. We did this so that you would know, hey, we're not here for your money. We're not here to get from you. We're here to give. We're here to impart to you. And Paul wanted to make that very clear. And he did that, you know, through his life and demonstrated that very powerfully. So the first practical way to effectively minister that Paul personally demonstrated is to commend people to God and the word of his grace. The second practical way is don't covet. And the third practical way is seen in verse 35, which says this. I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak and remember the words of our Lord Jesus that he said it's more blessed to give than to receive. You know, the third practical way that Paul demonstrated for effective ministry is to be generous in your ministry. You know, don't covet is an encouragement coming from the negative perspective. Be generous is basically a very similar encouragement, but it's coming from the positive. You know, don't try to get what's not yours is the negative and give of what is yours is the positive. And they kind of go hand in hand. But you know, within our culture, this is something that, you know, oftentimes we struggle with because we're told a lie over and over again. And I love what Paul says here. Notice that Paul quotes Jesus saying, it's more blessed to give than to receive. But I think for us here in America, in this culture, this truth is hard for us to grasp. It's more blessed to give than to receive because we're told constantly, it's more blessed to get than to give. It's more blessed to receive than to give. That's what our culture says. Oh, it's what you can get, get, get. That's what makes you happy. What you get is what's fulfilling. What you get is all what life's about. Instead of giving truly is more fulfilling than getting. Yeah, I think we see this. I get somewhat frustrated at Christmas time with little kids. And it's always, what'd you get? What'd you get? What'd you get? What'd you get? Well, why don't we ask them what they give? Why don't we focus? I mean, what is Christmas all about? It isn't about the giving of God's son to us. Isn't that really should be the ultimate focus instead of just like, what do we get? get? We get more and more selfish uh, in our culture. And I think, you know, this is something that we see, you know, so uh, apparent uh, within us. And so, you know, this is a, something that is a struggle. Is it better to give than to receive? Do we really believe that truth? And, you know, I'm sure for you parents, You discover this because you give to your kids oftentimes and it's more enjoyable to give to them, especially something they want, than to get from them. And one of the reasons why is because when you become a parent, you become less selfish. You know, I remember before getting married, thinking, you know, I'm doing pretty well with, with not being selfish. And then I got married and I realized, oh, okay, I still have a lot of selfish issues I got to work out. And then I thought, you know, it's been four years of being married and I'm doing really well now. And then all of a sudden I had kids and I realized, oh, I still have more selfish tendencies within me that the Lord needs to work out. But he does that. He helps us. And you start to, you have these kids and you get married and you, and you start to, wow, you know, I'm more interested in them and their well-being, even than my own. And I love to give to them. And it's actually truly more blessed to give than to receive. And you start to recognize this. But I want you to understand, it really comes from a place of selflessness. That's where it starts to, to get to you, where you're like, oh, wow, I get it. Because when we're selfish, then it's no, no, it's better to get. You know, it's all about what I get, not what I give. But when you start to become selfless, you really do get to that place where, no, it's better to give than to receive. In Philippians 2, 3, and 4, we have a really good challenge for us. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. God wants us to be selfless, not selfish. To esteem others better than ourselves, that's hard. <laughs> it's easy to esteem us best because that's natural and easy, but to really esteem others, to look out for other people's needs, not just for our own, that is what the, you know, as we mature in the Lord, that should be something that we start to see that it's not just all about me, but I want to invest in others. I want to give to others, and that's not just of your money, but giving of your time, giving of your, you know, your talents. Your, so I just want to give to pour in to other people. Ministry, that's what it is. It's all about people and giving to people. And if you don't like to give of your time and of your talents and of your treasures, don't get into ministry because, you know, that's what it's all about. It's about people. And I hate when I hear people say, oh, ministry would be great if there were no people. Well, then there would be no ministry. You know, the reality is that's what it's all about. Yeah, and it can be difficult, but it also can be greatly rewarding. But the the bottom line is it's all about giving of yourself. You know, it's a sacrifice, you know, but who was the greatest giver and how did he demonstrate it? Jesus Christ, he sacrificed his life and he showed us by example what ministry is like and how we should follow the way that God gives. (coughs) A missionary returning home after many years of service was asked, tell me what you found when you arrived in New Guinea. Found? I found something that looked more like hopeless than if I had been sent into a jungle of tigers. What do you mean? Why the people seem utterly devoid of moral sense. If a mother was carrying her baby and the baby began to cry, she would throw the the baby in a ditch. If a man saw his father break his leg, he would just leave him on the roadside by himself. They had no compassion whatsoever. They didn't even know what the word compassion meant. What did you do for them? I thought it best to show them my faith by my works. When I saw a baby crying in a ditch, I picked it up and consoled it. When I saw a man with a broken leg, I came by and mended it. When I found people distressed and hungry, I took them in, comforted them, fed them. I gave sacrificially of all I had. And the people there in New Guinea inquired, what does this mean? Why are you doing this for us? Then I had my chance and I preached the gospel. Did you succeed? My friend said the missionary, when I returned home on furlough, I left a church. Generous, sacrificial giving of your time, of your talents, of your treasures, it impacts people. It impacts often way more than the messes that we preach. And they need to be you know, connected. Don't just preach the message, live the message, demonstrate it to them. You know, one of the things we've been doing at the park, and when we first went to the park, all we did is just go around talking to people and try to share the gospel. And I'm not saying that's bad, it was definitely good. But we have such a better response that we're coming now with something to give, some free food, some snow cones, some things. We find that people do respond better when, you know, you're giving of them and you're paying for them to have a meal and you're sacrificing. Even if it's just a little bit like that, it opens up doors and, and people are kind of taken back by that because it's something that's important. We need to give of ourselves, especially in ministry. Well, Paul now has finished his message to the Ephesian elders and, and notice how they respond in verse 36 through 38. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. Then they all wept freely and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spoke, that they would see his face no more. And they accompanied him to the ship. Paul finishes his message and does something that's very good. If you're going to communicate God's word to people, a great way to conclude is pray. Pray. And they kneel down, and as a group, they just pray together. They recognize, you know, all this biblical truth. We need God's strength and help, and they they come together in prayer. But but notice after they pray, it's a sad moment. We're told, And they wept freely and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spoke. Remember last week, he recognized, you know what? You're not going to see my face anymore. I'm going to Jerusalem, change and tribulation await me, but none of these things move me. I'm ready to go die, and I don't ever expect to be back here in, in uh, Ephesus with you guys. And so they're crying because they realize this is it. This is the last time we're going to see this man who invested in us, who poured into us, who shared the gospel with us, who is our spiritual father. And so it's a sad moment. But yeah, no, that's a good thing in the sense of it would be sad that they didn't cry. Well, like, oh, Good riddance, Paul. You know, he made an impact on them, and it was something that moved them because of it. Since we live in the future church world that Paul was speaking about, we need to put what he says here into practice. So the challenge that Paul gives is first, take heed to your own spiritual needs, and then take heed to the spiritual needs of other believers. The reason why it's so important is because evil people are in the church to destroy believers, speak perverse things, and draw people to themselves instead of Jesus. And if we want to be effective in combating what these evil people are doing, then there are three practical things we need to do. First, commend people to God in the word of his grace. Second, don't covet. And third, be generous in your ministry. You know, the greatest example of all of these things that we're looking at is Jesus himself. He was so great at commending people to God and his word. He did not covet, and he was generous in ministry more than anyone by giving his own life. We're going to finish this morning as we do the first Sunday of the month. Just taking some time to remember Jesus, to remember his sacrifice, to remember what he has done, what he has given. And have the worship team come on up. And, you know, we're going to take communion together, which just focuses on uh, looking back to the sacrifice that Jesus gave for us. That his body was given, that his blood was shed on behalf of us, for us, for our sin. And this is a open communion meaning that it's open to anyone who's accepted Jesus as their savior. We encourage you to take that. If you're here this morning and you've never done that, you've never asked Jesus to forgive you of your sin, then I would just say when the communion elements come, just let them pass by. Uh, And we're going to take it together. So as the elements are passed out, just hold on to them, uh, and we will all come up and we'll take it together. But I just want to read for you um, before the worship team plays, and we're going to kind of have a song. 1 Corinthians 11... 23 through 25 says for I receive from the Lord that which I also deliver to you that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said take eat this is my body which is broken for you do this in remembrance of me in the same manner he also took the cup after supper saying this cup is a new covenant in my blood this do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so as we just take some time, as the communion elements are passed around, as the worship team leads us in a song, I want you to really just come before the Lord. This is a great time to confess your sin. We're remembering the fact that he paid the price for our sin. And if you have any unconfessed sin in your life, just bring it to the Lord right now. Ask for repentance of that before you take communion. uh, And then we're just going to come together and just take some time just to remember the great love that Jesus showed for us. So uh, let's just have this time to do that. I encourage you just to get quiet before the Lord.